What's up, beautiful people? Welcome back to another episode of the Our Wildest Dreams podcast. This is going to be a really special one, and I'm excited to kick it off in a way where we're going to be deepening into a little bit of story. I'll be taking you into just some things that I'm listening to, some lessons that I'm integrating right now. And I am excited for y'all to hear it and to see how it lands in y'all spirits. And so just in the introductions, my name is Brittany Pollard. I am a wellness practitioner. I'm a coach. I'm also the founder of Our Wildest Dreams. So the company and this podcast, and I create products and services that help people rest and deepen into the medicine of their imagination, their creativity, and the journey of partnering with their own dreams. And so when I say dreams, it's the things that we think about, the ideas and the callings and the inklings that come to us, the what ifs of our imagination, what would it look like to partner with those to manifest them in our real lives. And there's so much work <laughs> involved in that. And I meant to say physical lives, not real lives. Um, but it's the journey of taking something from the imagination and creating it in the physical world around us. And there's a lot of work involved in that. There's a lot of healing. There's a lot of coming home to the self. There's a lot of decluttering. And in this episode today, we're going to talk about the life-death-life cycle which is a term that I learned about recently from an author. And I'll get into her story in a little bit um, because this is the process that I'm in. And I want to bring you all into the information that is exciting to me and what feels natural for me and something that I think, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, it would land in your spirit as well. So that's the journey that we'll be going on. Um, that's the work that we do here, you know, really moving out of a space of just self-denial, right? Denying our, our needs and our dreams into a space of self-expression. And, and that's through centering our creativity and decolonizing our imagination and really paying attention to all these gentle whispers and sometimes fucking loud blaring whispers that are like, you need to do this. You know, how can we, how can we work through the fear? How can we be with the disbeliefs and the limitations? Like how can we begin to massage those parts of us and begin some gentle healing so that we can move forward and manifest the things on our hearts. So that's what we're doing here. We share stories of inspiration and innovation. And this is through guests that will be coming on the show. This is through lessons that I've learned or I'm currently in process of learning. This is through drawing on history, looking at historical figures in the past, all the way up into the present. This is through hearing um, different myths and folklore and tales and archetypes, like really listening to the stories that have been passed down through oral traditions. So it's a smorgasbord of some good shit happening here. It feels really down to earth and natural, but also paired with the beauty of the divine, the beauty of the unseen and how we can lean into both of those, which I feel is a wonderful segue into talking about the life death life cycle as introduced to me by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Now, this is a beautiful way to also get into this lesson because I first stumbled upon this beautiful author. She's a poet. She's a psychoanalyst. She's a post-trauma specialist. But I 
first got introduced to her work, I want to say maybe five or six years ago, she had this book called Women Who, or she has this book called Women Who Run With the Wolves, and it is phenomenal. It was floating around, you know, the self-help, spirituality, womanhood spheres, which, you know, I was all into, (laughs) and I just so happened to come across this book. And when I tell y'all, it's one of those books that you read and you just feel it with every part of your being. You know, it's one of those works of art that are going to last through generations and generations and generations. And I mean, it already has. And that book in particular is about women returning to their wild ways, their nature, the part of them that is earthy and natural and dirty and primal and the ways that we innately are you know without having the push right or the expectations the societal conditions telling us to be tidy and clean and pure and all those things and she talks about how much of ourselves we lose when we are forced into this ideal of what a woman should be and not in tune with our natural essence. And so it's a gorgeous book. I will link it in the show notes for y'all to check out. Even what we're going to get into is another book that I deepened into of hers um, that I'll both link in the show notes. But in both, you know, she talks about the return back to the wild, the return back to Connecting with your intuition, connecting with your senses, connecting with your imagination and the power of your creativity. She talks about all of that and the journey to that. So, oh, and she also does it through telling stories, through telling myths, through telling, um, you know, traditional stories passed down, through deepening into the lessons and the wisdoms held within these stories. And I love stories I love storytellers there's just I love history I love the rootedness of it all I just I love it and so that's why I'm a fan of her work and that's the work that I'm moving into producing and for us to connect in different ways and I also really just want to shout out my uh, trauma coach Rachel Maddox, she's a trauma resolution coach and guide who also has a certification program that I'm in the process of completing right now. And it's been about 17, 18 months since I've been in that program. And so it's not something that I've widely shared, but there's been a lot of deep lessons and wisdom shared. And it was also done through archetypal story. So Just wanted to plug those things. So coming back to Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, she's a mestiza Latina. She's a poet, a psychoanalyst, a post-trauma specialist. Like this woman has been in clinical practice for 48 years. So she's been around the block. She's seen things and she uses poems and stories and myths and folklore. And she also uses performance art as a healing tool. And she uses it for um, like expressive therapy for other people. And so she really pairs her growing up having access 
to her traditional ways, having access to these stories, having access to these rituals, having access to these lessons, and also her travels and her exposures into different cultures as a healing tool for her to not only speak and write about, but to support her 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 clients through. This just lands in a different way. I come back to the earthy. I come back to the natural. I come back to the rootedness, all the, the medicine of women who are crones who have been on this earth and who have deepened into so many lessons and just have so much wisdoms and gifts to share. And it feels very important and special living in a society that wants to erase the older woman that wants to put all the emphasis on the young and beautiful and really stripping the medicine that older women have to offer and that they are not that not just that they have to offer but the experience of the crone so that's why I'm in love with this process and and just learning and turning to elders you know and the wisdom of elders to really integrate different life lessons and just be a a student you know I really I love being a student all day long and so finding works of art that really land not only in your spirit but they have lessons and you you get to take that and apply it in your own life from another's lived experience and also the beauty of bringing in the imagination the beauty of connecting to different stories it's just like mm, so good and I keep repeating the same thing but it's just it's beautiful so in today's episode we're going to talk about the life death life cycle and in this this comes from a book called the theater of the imagination also by Dr. Estes and I have it on audible so it's really nice to really hear her voice as she's sharing these lessons and so when talking about the life death life cycle she talks about how especially in western culture there's a separation between life and death there's so much emphasis put on life everything's about like you know, you have to do all these things in your short life, take advantage of life, live life to the fullest, um, sleep when you're dead, all these things. And there's a fear around death. Death is something that we don't want to talk about. It's something that we want to avoid. There's so much emphasis put on the loss and the tragedy of it. And I don't want to take away from that because, you know, when you lose someone, or when someone does pass away from this physical form, there is a loss. There's a grief. You know, there's all this sadness and different emotions. And you're trying to find ways to cope without that person no longer physical be- physically being here. But there is a general fear and avoidance of death. And she talks about the cycle of life and death and how they're not separate like you you can't separate them everyone who is born on this earth everything that is born on this earth will go through a death it just it is what it is right that is the cycle of nature 
They cannot be split from one another. And so it's important for us to really look at that and hold them as one, as one full cycle. And I love this because when she talks about the cycle, which I'll share a little bit of a breakdown from my understanding in a bit. When she talks about the cycle, she talks about how death is not the final anything. In fact, it's the incubation for something new to be reborn. So when we think about a death, when we talk about if we're talking about a human life cycle, you know, it's like in death, the soul continues to live on, right? In death, the bones break down and are planted back into the earth, right? Contributing to the history of the earth where newness is born, right? It's it's in the rock of the earth. And so nothing ever disappears or even in death, you know, if there's a physical death, the memory of that person or that thing continues to live on. And even though it might change or whatever, there's a memory that continues. And so in this cycle, she talks about the different phases. So we have the incubation period of the life-death life cycle. And in this incubation period, it's dark. It's quiet. You can't see it, but there's so much movement happening. There's growth happening. And when I think about the incubation period, I think about, you know, a baby actually being in utero. It's dark, right? But there's so much life force happening. There's so much growth happening, but you can't see it unless you do like an ultrasound. But even that is just like a small part, right? Or even if we think about if we plant a seed into the ground, that incubation period where we're chilling out with the soil, talking to the little seed, even though we can't we can't see it, we're trusting that it's going to grow one day, right? We're just trusting what we can't yet see. And meanwhile, that seed is opening up, sprouting roots, growing down into the earth. That's the incubation period. Or if we think about a creative idea that we might have, right? Connecting to the imagination. Things are stirring in our minds that can't be seen by other people. You know, it can't be seen in the physical world yet because it's starting in our minds. It's in that dark space, just kind of growing some roots. Maybe just floating along, connecting with our our own history, kind of weaving through our own patterns of how our mind flows. There's an incubation period that happens. And so after that, there's like a a thrust of energy. There's a thrust of energy, she says. And so with this thrust of energy, there's like a, a movement that happens. And the way I imagine this is like when that seed begins to sprout up and just so happens to poke out of the soil, there's a thrust of energy that needed to happen in order for it to move through that soil. Or, you know, maybe there's a thrust of energy when you have this creative idea and you write it down on a piece of paper. Maybe you do some journaling around it. 
there's an excitement or a thrust of energy that happens. And after that quickening, there's a labor in the birth. So there's the thing and it's here. And in the garden, there is a fruit or a vegetable that is birthed, right? There's a production that happens. That baby is born after growing in that incubation and that thrust of energy happening, right? Even the thrust of energy needed to birth something, whether it's an idea, a plant, a baby. And after that, it hits its zenith. And the zenith is like the high noon, where the energy is the highest. It's the most potent. This is where all of the energy is exciting and at its potential or its full quote-unquote potential, right? The zest is there. And then after that, there becomes a slow decline. So it, it goes in this incubation period. There's a quickening. There's a labor of birth. It's up, up, up until it's zenith. And then after that, there's a slow loss of energy. There's a decline that happens. Think about when, when the saying of being over the hill, right? Um, think about in a relationship. You go through that honeymoon phase and everything is so beautiful and the energy is there and y'all doing the do all the time and talking to your boo three hours on the phone or just sitting there on the phone doing nothing or maybe going on dates and having the time of your life and traveling and doing all these things, right? But you get used to each other and then there can be a loss of energy that happens after all that excitement, after all that expansion, a contraction begins. And so there's a loss of energy that might happen. And in that loss of energy, things might begin to slow down. And with the continued loss of energy, with the seasons changing, right? That flower, that plant blooms. And after its season, that energy begins to shift, slowing down. And it begins to die. And it's slowing down, slowing down. And then there's a death that happens. That is the cycle of life. That is the cycle of ideas. That's the cycle of passion. That's the cycle of love. That's the cycle of maybe careers. It's the cycle of the moon, right? The moon going from that new moon where it is in that incubation stage. You can't see it, but it's there. And that's the time where... You write down all the things that you want to manifest. And then it moves through the different stages coming into that fullness, the full moon, the zenith. And then after that, it begins to go back into another cycle until you can't see it anymore. And so in that cycle, even though a death occurs, it's not really a death. It's just moving back into that incubation stage but now there's more knowledge now there's more wisdom now there's more experience to draw upon and so if we think about the life death life cycle and we want to talk about a relationship right and let's say after that loss of energy happens you kind of in this space where you don't you might fall out of love you don't even know who you're looking at anymore you don't know each other Right? Like you, you, there's a love 
there, even though you may have fallen out of that zestful love, there's like a steady love that might be there, depending on the circumstance. But there's a slow momentum, a downward decline, and in that death, it's an incubation period of figuring out, okay, what are we going to move into next? What are we going to talk about? You know, and I, I say relationship because I think about my own and that we've we've gone through this cycle many times. I've been with my boyfriend now uh, 12 years ish, 11 to 12 years. And so we've gone through a full decade together, full decade of this cycle. And so now we're in this stage of getting to know each other in this decade of life, in the 30s, because we met in our early 20s. And so now there's a recalibration of getting to know each other. What do you like in this decade of your life? In this decade, decade of lessons and wisdoms and things, wisdoms, <laughs> in this decade of life experience that you've had, who are you? today what do you enjoy how can we get to know each other in this season of life it's an incubation happening and as we continue to move in this cycle the quickening stage where there's a thrust of energy okay now that we're more aligned in who we are right now how can we do things differently or together in ways that we both enjoy right now so again, we're in that incubation slash quickening cycle. Well, slash birth cycle, we're, we're moving through it. <laughs> but I say that because it's, it's in every facet of our life. I was just talking to a friend of mine who just had a cute, adorable little baby. And I was telling her that when you have a child, the moment you feel like you have a pulse or an understanding on what's going on, they turn another year older and the shit that you thought you knew is fucking wiped out and you gotta figure it out. You gotta figure out the next phase. So now having a 13-year-old, I'm in the incubation stage of this too because my son just turned 13 two months ago. So now I'm like, okay, I have a teenager now. This is a whole new level that, you know, I've never been here before. Do I have experience raising zero to 12? Yes, in two months into 13. But in the actual 13s, I've never been here before. So in this incubation stage, listening, learning, observing, talking, so that we can move into that quickening and that birth and that zenith of what he needs right now. And I know that as the year continues, there's going to be that loss and that death cycle as he moves into 14. And it's going to be a whole new year that I can draw upon the wisdom that I've gained from zero to 13. But 14 is something new that I'm walking into. So we spent a little bit of time on that, but I really wanted that to sink in because nothing is ever just finite and never changes like that's it. Once the death occurs, there's nothing else that can be done. There's an incubation stage that happens 
for something new. And what she, what Dr. Estes also says is like the life death life cycle, if you think about it, it's like the period of darkness that happens between two days, right? It's, it's needed, it's necessary for the next day to emerge. And so she gives a really rich and beautiful explanation of this in Theater of the Imagination, which will be linked in the show notes. And I encourage you all to download that book or buy the book and read or listen to it to really grasp this understanding that life and death are not separate. It's just, it's a continuous cycle and it'll always be a continuous cycle. It's how we regenerate. It's a process of regeneration. So I'm going to move into talking about the story that she tells, which is called Lady Calavera or Godmother Death. And it's a Mexican folk tale. And I want to share this with you because this is also in the book. She used a beautiful, like just a gorgeous story that she told. And we're going to talk about the lessons after it, just for it to sink in. And once again, to expose you to something new if you've never heard this story it was definitely new for me being a Mexican folk I've just never heard it but the imagery of it and the the storytelling of it helped it once again settle in me in a different way so let's just go ahead and get into it (laughs) so The way the story goes is that once upon a time, there was this man and this woman, right? This mother and father who had 12 children. They were getting by, you know, they they were living in this village. They were barely making it by, you know, they have 12 kids to take care of. And next thing you know, the wife is pregnant with child number 13. And so Pop says, okay, we're on our 13th kid, you know, we are, we're making it, but it's also important for our child to have a godmother or godfather. And so I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for a godmother or godfather for our 13th child because it's important that they have this connection. It's important that they have this support. It's important for them to have this, this protection in their life and so he decides to journey out looking for the perfect godparent for his 13th child and he was just like you know I'm just gonna go out and find someone I'm gonna find the first person I see and so he's walking down this path and the first who pops out is God and God is like hey you know you know me i i know all things i see all things i am you know i'm here i can be the godparent to your child i'll be the child's godfather and so the dad thinks about it and he's like oh you know having god as my child's godparent would be like lit it w- it would be amazing it would be wonderful but then he sits back and he thinks like hmm you know god He says, sometimes you treat people unfairly. I noticed that, you know, sometimes you give to the rich and you don't give to the poor. And I 
you know, I love you, God, but I don't really like the dynamic of how some people get more than others. So with all due respect, I don't want you to be my child's God father. I don't want him to be treated unfairly in his life. And so he says, thank you, God, but no thank you. And so he keeps walking, 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 walking down the path. And next, El Diablo walks out. El Diablo says, hey, yo, I will be the perfect godfather for your child. I've been here. I've seen things. You know, I'm, I'm older than fire. I know all the ins and outs of life. I got you. How about you let me be the child's godfather? And so the dad thinks about it. Puts his, his uh, hand on his chin and he thinks and he thinks. And he's like, you know, El Diablo, thank you for the offer. But sometimes you lead people down a path of trouble and you end up with their souls. And I don't want that for this child. I want to make sure that they live a full and healthy life. I want to make sure that they go to heaven. So with all due respect, no thank you. And so he continues walking, walking, walking. And next, Tezcatlipoco steps out, who is the Aztec god of midnight. And so he steps out and he says, hey, I can be your child's godparent. I will be perfect. I am the god of memory. I'll make sure that your child remembers their whole lives. It's going to be great. They'll never forget a thing ever. And so the dad sits back and thinks. He thinks and he thinks and he thinks. And he says, you know, Tetzcatlipoca, your other name is actually Smoking Mirror, which is forgetfulness. You're also the god of forgetfulness. Well, you forgot to tell me that. <laughs> and so he thinks and he thinks and he says, you know, I would my son forget? Would my child forget their life? Would they forget their family? Would they forget me? I I don't know. I'm not really comfortable with that. I'm just going to respectfully pass. He says, thank you so much, but I'm going to keep checking to see who else is out there. So he continues walking down this path. He walks and walks and walks. And then Chakmul stands out, the rain god. And Chakmul says, I can be your child's godparent. I would be perfect. Your child would always be fine, never be thirsty. Your child would be so wonderful with me. And so the dad thinks about it. And he says, hmm, Chakmul, thank you so much for your offer. But, you know, you're also the god of melancholy. And I wouldn't want my child to be sad all the time. I would want my child to see the sun. I would want my child to be in the beauty of life and out there and experiencing life and not inside sad. And so he says, you know, thank you, Chuck Moore, but I'm going to keep it pushing. And so he continues walking and walking and walking and out steps the goddess Kuatlike. And Kualike is the goddess of earth and fertility and also a creator and destroyer. Like, think bad mama bear vibes. Kualike is a feared goddess. Very powerful. And he says, very, very gently, 
Oh, Kwatike, thank you. He smiles, showing all teeth, nervous, because Kwatike has a temper. Thank you. With all due respect, I'm going to pass, but I really appreciate your offer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to keep walking. And so he walks and he walks and he walks. And out of nowhere steps Lady Calavera, who is also the Lady of Death. She comes out in her all black and she's beautiful. And she says, I will be the godmother of your child. I can help your child understand life and death. I can support them in the tools of handling it. And so he thinks to himself, hmm, you know, yes. He says, yes, yes, yes. Lady Calavera, I think this is a great idea. You are someone who treats people fairly. The rich and the poor get the same experience, whether someone is beautiful or not, they get the same experience. Whether someone is old or young, when they are called to death, they are called. You treat everyone fairly. And that's what I want for my child. I want my child to be treated fairly. So he says yes. So Lady Galavetta becomes his godmother. And so she teaches the child her skill, the skill of healing, someone, you know, allowing them to live and then also teaching them when it's time for them to die. And so she teaches the child, she trains the child up in the skills of healing, knowing when it's time to heal someone and then also knowing when it's time for them to pass on. And she does this through a practice of not only teaching the child to heal, but there was a ritual that they did or or a a practice, an understanding that they came to where if someone was called or if he was called to come in and heal someone, if someone was sick, he would know if she's standing at the head of the bed, then that means that he can heal the person and they are to live. But if she's standing at the foot of the bed, then that means that it is their time to be passed on with her. It's time they die. And so they did this over and over and over, and he became a famous healer in the land. Everyone was calling upon him, needing his help, needing his support. He became very well known. And so one day, soldiers from the kingdom called out about the king. And they said, hey, you know, hey, healer, our king is sick. We've called everybody we know and no one can cure him. We need you to come and heal him now and fast. And so he responds to the call and he goes up to the king's chambers. And when he gets in there, he sees his godmother. He sees Lady Calavera standing at the foot of the bed. And so he stops for a moment because he's like, whoa, this is the king. No one can see Lady Calavera but but me, but wow, this is the king. What do I do? And so as he goes up to the king, the king says, Healer, if you heal me, I promise that I will give you the kingdom. 
do whatever it takes. I will give you whatever you want. Please just heal me. Just let me live another day. I've had all these people in here trying to heal me and nothing is working. And I know that you of all people can do it. Please heal me and I will give you whatever you want. And so he steps back and he kind of thinks for a moment like, man, it's his time to go. But like he's promising me a kingdom. And so he goes back and forth with himself, not really knowing what to do. What do I do? What do I do? He's looking at his godmother who's standing there with her arms folded and crossed and looking at him angrily because she knows what he's up to. He's going back and forth with himself and he just makes a decision to choose the kingdom. So he picks up the bed. And he turns it around, putting her at the head of the bed, and he hurries up and, kill, and and heals the king. And she just stands there and looks at him. And in his mind, he's thinking, it's okay, she's my godmother, she won't do anything to me. I know she's mad, but she won't do anything. She loves me, she would never hurt me. And his godmother just looks at him and just walks. Time passes by and he gets another call. And this time it's about the princess. Oh, the princess is sick. We need you to come in and heal her. And we've called in all our healers and nothing is working. And she's very, very ill. We need you to save her. And so the healer gets his stuff and he goes back up to the kingdom. And he remembers how beautiful the princess was. I mean, the beautiful, the princess was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen in his entire life. She was his idea of perfection. She was gorgeous. She was sweet. She was nice. She was all of the things. And so he goes into the princess chambers. And once again, he sees his godmother standing at the foot of the bed. And even in the princess's ill state, she was still the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. He was in love with her. He had fell in love with her. And so once again, he was faced with a decision like, oh, my gosh, I have the kingdom. And this is I love her. You know, this is my lady. She's everything to me. She can't die now. And so he thinks and he thinks and he thinks. And he looks at his godmother, who once again is looking impatiently at him because she knows what he's up to. She's standing there. And instead of allowing the princess to die, he once again picks up the bed, turns it around so that the godmother is at the head of the bed and hurries up and heals her. The godmother just looks at him once again and walks out. The princess heals. They're together. They're madly in love. So now the healer has not only a kingdom, but a woman. He's in he's in love. He's married. And so a few days later, he's in the garden of the, the kingdom planting roses for the princess, for his his true love. And he hears a voice. And the voice says, stand up and come with me. And so he turns around. He knows that voice. There was a shock that went through his system as he turns around and he sees his godmother standing over him. 
And so he's like, oh, okay. Um, well, Godmother, I'm kind of in the middle of something. I'm planting roses. I'm planting flowers for the princess. Can it wait a little bit? And so his Godmother looks at him. And in an even more stern voice, she says, come with me now. And so the healer says, oh, shit, in his mind. <laughs> so he gets up and he walks with her. And so he followed her for a long while until they come to a cave. And the cave is like the secret cave covered in bushes that Lady Calavera had to move out of the way so that they can enter. And when they walk into the cave, they see it's a very large room filled with candles. All sorts of candles. There were big candles, small candles, tall candles, short candles. Candles with really tall, bright, strong flames and candles with really small, sputtering flames. And when she brought him in there, she told him that each of these candles represents a soul. And when the flame goes out, the soul, the, the alma, the, the ashe, the soul dies. And so she said, what do you think about the lives of these candles? And so he looks around and he says, well, obviously the candles who are burning the brightest, those are children, those are, those are infants, those are young people. They have a lot of life before them. And obviously the candles that have the small sputtering flame are older people who don't have much time to live. And she looks at him and she says, you're wrong. Some of these candles with the small sputtering flames are infants and children. And some of them burning the brightest are the elderly. The candles don't move in a linear fashion that way. And so he says, well, you know, that that seems unfair, but okay, Godmother, I understand this is real work. This is what you do. And so he says, well, show me my candle. I want to see mine, Godmother. And so she points in the direction. She says, that's your candle right there. And so he looks at the candle, and when he looks at it, there's a shock and a disbelief that goes over his system because the candle that he's seeing is sputtering. It's barely hanging on. And he says, but Godmother, I'm your, I'm your godson. I'm young. I have a kingdom. I have a wife. There's, there's no way that my candle is sputtering. You have to fix this. I mean, you're, you're Lady Death. You can do something about it. Can you please fix it for me? Like I have so much life ahead of me. I have things that I have to do. I have I have a, a famous practice. I'm famous. I'm I have a kingdom. I have a wife. I have a life ahead of me. You have to do something. And so light me another candle. Can you just light me another candle? And so she looks at him and she goes to pick up a candle and pretends to light it with another flame. And in that moment, he relaxes like. Whew, Godmother came through. Shout out to you. And then she puts it down without lighting it. And she says, you know, 
while you are my godson and while you are young and while you have a robust life, it's also true that you have a timeline. And in that timeline, you also disobeyed me. And so he stands there looking at the candle, watching it flicker off and on, off and on. And then finally the flame went out. And the moment it went out, he dropped to his knees and he fell over. And she looked at him, her beloved godson. She loved him so much. And she said, you cannot cheat death. And so this is a story that really encapsulates, of course, the time that we have here, but the fact that the truth and that death is imminent. It's something that happens. It's a natural part of the life cycle. And it's something to grow awareness and understanding around. And in this example, it, it talks about the human life cycle, right? And when it's time, it's time. But also... Dr. Estes breaks it down into the innate knowing that we have inside. There's a knowing within our system, especially the more we connect with our intuition and we connect with our body and we listen to it. There's, there's, a, there's a life giver and a death dealer inside of us is the way that she phrases it. And in that, there's a knowing when there is time to thrust life in something and there's a knowing when there's time to let something go. But where we tend to get caught up is wanting to change that. Wanting to give life to what needs to die and go back into that incubation, right? Wanting to avoid and ignore the death cycle. And she talks about the importance of paying attention to that like we know when we feel something we know when there is a life force happening behind something in our lives and we also know when we're just dragging something that no longer works and it, it actually feels like dead energy that we're trying our hardest to keep alive and so in this story she asked the question which is a question that I too am sitting with is what are you keeping alive that needs to die? What are you trying to hold on to that maybe you need to let go of and trust that as you let go, as it goes back into the incubation stage, it's going to come out even more refined, even more true, even more authentic, even more connected. And so if we come back to the earlier explanations of the different areas of our lives, if we look at the personal way we relate to ourselves, are there any ideas, thoughts, beliefs, any actions that no longer work, that are just continued cycles of 
dead energy that needs to be let go of or that need to be surrendered in trust so that a new you can incubate, a new connection to yourself can be born. We can also extend this to relationships. Are you holding on to relationships that are no longer in alignment with who you are? Now, whether that is a relationship that you may choose to continue flowing through this cycle with or one that you may choose to release so that more deeper connected relationships can can usher their way into your lives. Is it a career? Is it something that maybe felt good for you 10 years ago and there was a movement of energy and now you're just showing up to work with the same dull energy? You hate it there. You hate the work. You hate what you're doing. You don't believe in it, but you're still there. You go into that space feeling like it's soul sucking work but you're doing it just because maybe you spent all this money to get educated around it. Maybe you spent all this time. Maybe you've been in this field for so long that you know it like the back of your hand and you don't know what else you can do. Are you holding on to something that no longer works? Is it? We talked about, so we talked about the personal, we talked about relationships, we talked about career. What if it's an environment that you're holding on to? You have this dream of, you know, living in a different city, but you're too connected or attached to an environment that doesn't pour into you. It's just what you know, and you're doing your best to try and stay alive in that space. Is it also an idea, you know, uh, when we're talking about dreams, right? Pulling our dreams to this, our creativity, our imagination, the things that we want to bring forward to this life. Are there maybe ideas that you've sat on for so long and you're trying to white knuckle your way through them, but it's just not working. (laughs) There's just something about it that's not working, but maybe you're afraid to let it go because it was the one good thing at one point. But what if you allowed it to die? What if you you surrendered it and you allowed it to go back into that incubation stage? Trusting that new ideas will emerge that are more in sync with who you are now and the wisdom that you've gathered now and more connected to the way that you want to operate now. Can you trust that or or at least open to the possibility of trusting that as you let go of things that need to die, need to be released so that this new incubation stage can can happen, newness will emerge. And sometimes, this is a um, a podcast that once again my my mentor Rachel Maddox just released. She talks about giving up the good for the really really good. 
Because sometimes we can look at our life and we're like, oh, I can't, you know, I shouldn't complain. My life is good. You know, things are, I'm safe. I'm this, I'm that, you know, but inside there's no other energy present. Inside things don't feel right. They feel off. They feel heavy. Like you're just carrying around this weight and tacking on all of these. I should be happy because explanations as to why you're carrying that there's other people who are less fortunate than me there's other people who have harder than me so I should be happy and you're saying that but inside there's a there's a loss of energy happening there and so sometimes things can be good and we might want to release them we might let the good thing die so that the really, really good might emerge. So I invite you to think about that. You know, think about the lessons of this life-death life cycle. Think about your own connection to death and whether or not there's an avoidance there or a celebration of releasing and letting go and trusting that newness, refinement will emerge looking at the cycles of your relationship or your creativity or your imagination or, you know, your parenthood and looking at where you are on the life, death, life cycle. Because the thing too is that there's the different facets of our life will be in different cycles at the same damn time. So when we talk about connecting to the natural self, when we talk about being more intuitive being more intentional it's just taking a moment to stop and just notice where might there be different energies on this cycle in your life so that is our show for today I know that that can feel like a heavy topic. I mean, depending on the person, right? But I think it's once, you know, it's a natural cycle of life. Nature does it all the time, too. You know, when we think about our different seasons, when we think about even the way the the ocean waves wash up and recede back, when you think about the storms that come through and cleanse away clutter or even the storms that come through and fuck shit up. But there's always new life that happens after that. Or a new way of relation and existing that happens after that. There's always newness emerging after death. And so rather than fear death, what it would it look like to see it as a full cycle what would it look like to relate that to our creativity and our ideas and trust that as we let things go there's just that incubation stage where the new thing will emerge so connect with me I want y'all to DM me 
let's spark conversations around this. If there's any other works of art that, or in any other oral traditions that you've been exposed to, please share them with me. I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to use more of this richness in my work that I offer to the world. Drawing on these examples and and it's just medicine of lessons that have been shared for millennia. Like I want to offer that back. And I'm always a student too. So as much as I'm a teacher, I'm a student willing to share, willing to learn. So connect with me on Instagram. That is at Brittany Shanice. It'll be in the show notes. Let's spark conversations. Maybe if there's other work, Dr. Estes that you like, you can share that with me too or whatever, whatever. Let's just connect y'all. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Our Wildest Dreams podcast.